is there, including the Beatitudes and, and uh, many of his healings and, and uh, miracles. So, you know, I looked at this and I first thought, you know, I have preached whole series of messages on just pieces of this. <laughs> and it's all in one week. What am I going to do with this? There's no way that you can do justice in a few minutes that we have to spend together this morning. So I hope you've read it. I hope you'll continue reading it because this is a very powerful part of the story. The Sermon on the Mount, in particular, contains many of the most important teachings that Jesus ever gave us. So uh, we need to know it. We need to learn it well. And what we discover in this chapter is what Mike's alluded to in our communion meditation time, is that Jesus was no ordinary man. There was nothing ordinary about him, even though we don't know what he looked like. We don't know that there's anything of his form or appearance that would you know, attract people to him or make them you know, draw his, his picture of what he looked like. He was extraordinary in so many different ways. As we read about Jesus this week, we learn that Jesus was called rabbi and teacher, and he was called master, and he was called miracle worker, and he was called a prophet, and, and all these different things, and he was all of them at once. But he was so much more than that as well. He was like no one they'd ever seen before. One of the things we saw about Jesus in this week is that Jesus' way is upside down from the rest of the world. He really flipped everything over. His way of looking at things is opposite the way the world often looks at things. In Matthew 5 through 7, we read his Sermon on the Mount. I'd like you to kind of look at Matthew 5 for a little bit there if you have a Bible. In this Sermon on the Mount, he shows this upside-down world of the kingdom of heaven. He began with the Beatitudes. You know, the Beatitudes, things that say like this, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the Beatitudes show that in God's economy, things are upside down. That it's not the, the, uh, the person who is powerful, it's not the person who's rich that is going to succeed. It's the person that's meek, and the person that is humble, and the person that is merciful. They're the people who went out in God's kingdom. In fact, he says it so eloquently, he said, you know, even if you're under persecution, if you're being persecuted, you can rejoice in that because one day your reward is going to be great. Throughout the first part of this sermon in Matthew 5, he kept insisting, kept saying, he says, you know, you have heard that it was said, but I say. He's making the contrast over and over again. You have heard that it was said, do not murder, but I say, don't be angry with somebody. You have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've looked lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery in your, in your heart. You have heard that it was said, do not break your oath. But I say, do not swear at all. Don't take oaths. There's no reason to do that. You have heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so in all these ways, Jesus was flipping things over. He was showing the upside-down nature of his, his perspective. And he raised the bar of expectations for anyone who would aspire to the kingdom of God. Well, at the end of this sermon, the end of Matthew 7, we read that the people were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. He taught as one who spoke by his own authority, not just quoting someone else. He was not like the other rabbis that were tooling around Israel at the time who would say, as rabbi so-and-so says, here's the lesson for today. Jesus spoke by his own authority, and he showed what a contrast 
his teaching was to anything they had heard before this. Now, I saw people reverencing other people in Thailand this way, especially the Buddhists like to do this. The Buddhists have famous monks that they really honor and want to want to lift up and exalt in some way. And I went to one of the Buddhist wats or temples, and they had there these glass enclosures, and they had made these wax figures of, of Buddhist monks that they revered. They thought were really wise men, great, great holy men. And uh, here's a picture of one of them. They were really realistic. I got really close. I thought, I think that's a real guy sitting in there. Well, no, it was a wax figure. And they had many of those around because they would put the words. I couldn't read them. They were in Thai. But they had these words of wisdom, you know, that this man had spoken a generation or two ago or whatever. Well, too many, too many people today follow somebody that they think has wisdom, somebody of, of great spiritual stature, some kind of a holy man. I want to assure you, this guy was dead. Well, he's a wax figure. But the guy that they put the figure of, he's dead. His words are dead. His words are empty. In fact, much of what he said is not right at all. Some of the other holy men that people follow are Confucius, uh, Muhammad. Some people in our country follow Joseph Smith or maybe Ellen G. White or Ron L. Hubbard, you know, and they say, here's somebody that really knows what life is about. Listen to him. Follow him. Follow his teachings. But they are wrong. All of these people are regarded as holy or special or somebody worthy of note with revelations, insights to share, but they are wrong. Jesus' teaching is the right way. And when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was talking about the way of life is the right one to follow. Clearly, there is a different path here. So don't miss what Jesus is saying. He's setting himself apart from everything else that has been taught, everything else that has been said, all of the wisdom and intelligence of man, because his ways are upside down to the ways of this world. As parable of the soils, some of you read that, illustrate how true this is, how different people are going to either receive or reject what Jesus said. What is his way? Am I going to follow his way or not? As the farmer scattered his seeds in this parable, different kinds of soil uh, received these seeds. Some of it was, was so hard, it was like the people today that just completely ignored Jesus. They're so wrapped up in the world, there's no way the word is going to get through to them. And some of them are going to receive his words, but they'll never really take, let it ta- take root in their lives. And so, yeah, that sounds good. But then the next thing that sounds good just takes away the seed that Jesus had put in their lives. Some people will even choose to follow Jesus. And there may be some like that here today, I don't know, who said, yes, I want to live for Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I like what I see about Jesus. I like the grace that he's offering. But they allow the weeds of their lives to grow up at the same time as the good stuff. And the weeds eventually choke it out. And they say in Jesus' parable, it would be weeds of of, uh, their own pleasures, of weeds of worry, weeds of of seeking the ways of the world instead of his ways. And eventually, that which is good dies out in their lives. But finally, he talks about a good soil, the fertile soil, where that root, uh, the seed takes root and it grows up and even produces fruit, produces a crop for the kingdom of God. So Jesus here, right at the beginning, is laying things on the line. He's saying, my teaching is different than what you've heard before. You've heard it said, but I say to you, His way is diametrically opposed to the ways of the world. So to follow him, we must give up the world and we must choose God's way of life. 
A choice must be made, a deliberate choice. And when we choose God's way, the Spirit of God comes into us and helps us to follow Jesus. The Spirit of God guides us deeper and deeper into Jesus' way of life, which is so different than anything we've heard before. That brings us to the second point I want to make this morning, and that is this, that discipleship takes time. It's step by step, it's day by day. Following Jesus is a lifelong journey. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Discipleship builds week after week and month after month and year after year. God's grace is immediate, but growth takes time. When you come to Christ, when you come to faith in Jesus, you are saved immediately. You are saved on the basis of God's grace. You don't have to do anything to save yourself except believe that Jesus already paid the price and Jesus already took care of your needs. And so by faith and obedience, you just surrender yourself to him and you begin a new life in Christ. We are saved immediately, but growth takes time. Salvation is dramatic, but spiritual growth is deliberate. It is intentional. It must be chosen. All of us who put our faith in Jesus experience a dramatic change, the beginning. Everything becomes new. We have the opportunity for our lives to be completely turned around. And this is what I was talking about last week when I talked about having this personal encounter with Jesus. If you came to that point in time where you humbled yourself and you realized the need for the Savior and you give your life over to Jesus Christ, everything becomes new. All new opportunities. Total new second chance on everything. But then you decide what you do with that. And that's where spiritual growth can come. At that point, Christian life begins. And it's about following Jesus step by step and day by day. The Christian life is following Jesus step by step and day by day for your entire life. Throughout all of your days here on earth. This week we read about the miraculous healing of a demoniac, a man who is possessed by demons. Jesus and his disciples get over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Mark tells us this story in Mark chapter 5. This man is possessed by a legion of demons. He lived in the tombs along the Sea of Galilee. He was so violent that the authorities kept trying to chain him up because he was disturbing everybody. And they would put him on heavier and heavier chains, and every time they chained him up, he would break the chains. He would get free somehow. And he was living in the tombs along the lakeside, cutting himself and crying out in pain. I believe this is the most tormented man that ever lived. What a terrible life he must have been. And Jesus cast the demons out of him. Jesus cast the demons out of this man and gave his life back to him. His life was dramatically changed. And it says that he tried to go along with Jesus. He asked Jesus, can I go with you as you, you and your disciples get back in the boat? And as you leave the area, can I go with you? And Jesus said, no, I want you to go home. I want you to tell everyone there what great things God has done for you. In other words, I want you to go there and I want you to continue uh, being a witness, being a, a testifier to what you have, have received from me. And I want you to continue growing in your faith right there at home. Grace is immediate, but growth takes time. We don't learn to follow Jesus all at once. After God gives us a new life, we must keep doing the things that will keep us growing. And so we need to stay in the Word of God. This story has been a great time for you to get started if you were never in the Bible before. And you've learned to read it every week. Now that, that habit, that good habit needs to continue. 
Maybe you've prayed more in this series than you ever prayed before, and that prayer must continue. That relationship with God that was started with Jesus Christ is something continued by communicating with God, back and forth with God every day. And being connected with the body of Christ is so important because it's in the body that you're equipped and you're encouraged so that you'll continue growing. Because if you're out there on your own, you're not going to succeed. You're not going to survive. And your faith will grow weak and finally get choked out by the weeds that you've allowed to grow around you. So it's very important that we deliberately, intentionally follow Jesus Christ because discipleship is a process, a long process. And we only continue it by deliberate effort for a lifetime. So here's the third point we need to understand this morning, and that is this, that our attitude has to be the right attitude, the attitude of a seeker, the attitude of an explorer, the attitude of a discoverer of truth who is, who is on a quest to know what life is about, to know how to live, to know how to serve, to know how to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what a disciple is, a follower, a learner, a student of Jesus Christ. A disciple chooses to follow someone greater than themselves, someone who can show them how to live life. A seeker seeks to learn everything they can about that person and about their way of life. And that's what we are. We are a seeker. We are a disciple. A seeker is humble and willing and obedient a disciple is humble and willing and obedient. A true disciple is humble, acknowledging his mistakes and shortcomings and seeking a better way to live. A disciple knows that his master knows how to help and how to show how he needs to live life. A true disciple is willing, willing to do whatever it takes to be like his master, willing to follow his example, willing in the words of Jesus to deny himself, to take up his cross daily, and to follow him wherever he'll go. He's willing to go through suffering. He's willing to go through pain, even through death, if that's where his master leads him. And a true disciple is obedient. He doesn't have the luxury of questioning what his master told him to do. He doesn't have the luxury of second-guessing any of his master's commands. When the master says jump, he jumps. When the master says go, he goes. When the master says stay, wait. He stays and he waits. We read this week how multitudes and multitudes followed Jesus. They followed him because of his miracles and his healings. And we understand that. If you have a sick person in your family, you find out there's someplace they can get better, you're going to take them there. You're going to take them to the doctor. You're going to take them to the hospital. You're going to take them to Jesus if Jesus is available and he does healings free. So people were bringing all of the sick and bringing all the people with infirmities of all kinds to him. And he was doing other kinds of miracles. And people loved seeing those miracles. And then Jesus, on a few occasions, fed everybody. And people always love food. <laughs> you can always get a crowd by giving free food. And Jesus was doing that. And he could feed thousands of people at one time. John 6, we read how Jesus had fed a bunch of people. And uh, after he fed thousands, 5,000 men, there are probably women and children there also. There might have been 12, 14, 15,000 people he fed there with one boy's lunch. This is a pretty big deal. That night, after he fed everybody, he sends his disciples across the lake. He waits for a while, and then he walks across the lake. This is where Jesus appears to them walking on the water, and Peter gets out of the boat and walks to him for a while. Then he falters, starts slipping in, and Jesus pulls him back to the surface, and they get in the boat, and 
They go on their way to the other side of the lake. Next morning, the people on the lakeside where they had been fed realize they've all gone. And so they, they deduce they've gone to the other side of the lake. So they all run around to the other side of the lake, and they find Jesus. And he said, where did you get here? How did you get here? And Jesus says in, in John 6, he says to him in verse 26, he says, you only came here because of the food, didn't you? <laughs> You're here because I fed you yesterday. It would be so much better if you came for what I was saying, for what I was teaching you. And he starts in chapter 6 of John to make it more difficult to be his disciple. He starts, he starts making it more difficult to follow him. And some pretty hard teaching comes. He talks about what sounds like cannibalism. You must eat my body and drink my blood. He's talking about the relationship. You must can totally, totally be one with me in, in these terms like that. But they take it wrong. And a lot of them start leaving. Many of them start leaving. John tells us in chapter 6, verses 67 to 69, that many of the people left, and he turns to his disciples. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back, no longer followed him. And he turned to them, and he said, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom shall we go? They had discovered that this was no ordinary man. This was a man that would bring them closer to God and show them the way of God. And he says to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. But what about us? Many people are leaving. A few stay. Many people decide these are words too hard to hear, too tough lessons to learn. Food was great, but you're talking about commitment. I'm out of here. And a few of them said, Lord, we're going to stay with you because no one else has the words of life. Have we chosen to become Christians only for the blessings, only for the benefits that Christ has brought to us? Is that why we came to Christ? may have been why we came. Is that why we stayed? Have we stayed only because he's promised us eternal life and we're just going to kind of hang on by our, our fingers, you know, until we can get to that point? We're not going to do anything else. We're not going to go any deeper. We're not going to have any more commitment because all I want is the blessing. All I want is eternal life. All I want is the forgiveness of my sins. I want to be in heaven someday, but forget about the rest. Is that where we are? Because if it is, then we're more consumers than we are disciples. And we must be very careful to become committed followers and seekers and true disciples of Jesus Christ because Jesus is all that matters. This week was a, an interesting week, especially Friday. I wanted to tell you about Friday, right in the middle of the day. I have my normal Friday morning routine of study, and we have our men's group that meets in and everything. But then I had the privilege of being able to go to our daughter's uh, doctor's appointment for an ultrasound. My wife was working that day, so it got to be my turn to go and see the ultrasound. Rem was gone out of town, and so I went with Jenna. We got to go down there, and, and, and the technician went through the whole routine, you know, and we got to see little Grayson, a little grandson that's coming in May, Lord willing. And it was wonderful to see that. And then the doctor came in, and he went through a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm watching for about 30 minutes here this grandson that has not yet arrived. 
and just seeing everything I could about him, trying to understand what an ultrasound is. And, and it was just, just an amazing, amazing time. And I found myself praying for Grayson, praying, of course, he'd be healthy, that he would be born fine, Jenna would be fine, everybody would just work out great, all of that, but more than that, too. I left that appointment, and I had to go immediately to see a friend of ours named Georgia. She is the elderly mother of another friend, Susan Oliver. Some of you know Susan. She's come to church here sometimes. And her mother uh, we got involved with because a couple years ago she broke her hip, and several of you came in and, and stayed with Georgia and cared for her and did just a multitude of things uh, to help her out. She's about ready to pass away. And Susan called this week and said, would you come and see my mother? So I tried on Wednesday nurse wouldn't let me in the door because she didn't know I was coming. Went back on Friday. So within the same hour that I was watching Grayson, who was not yet born, I'm sitting by the bedside of Georgia, who's taking some of her last breaths, having a very difficult time even speaking, not drinking or eating or anything. She's, she's there. She's looking at me. She would smile every once in a while when I talk about something. Uh, she asks how my wife is doing, different things. And I prayed for her. I prayed that God would prepare her heart. She would be at ease and she'd be ready to go home. And I know she is. She trusts in God for that. Within an hour, within a space of time, I was praying for one not yet born and someone just about ready to leave this life. And what was I praying? I was praying that they would know Jesus. I was praying that they would walk with Jesus, that they would be ready to go home to be with Jesus. And even though Grayson is not yet born, my prayer is that he'll not only be a healthy little boy, but that he'll be a follower of Jesus because that's all that matters. That's all that counts. And I prayed for Georgia that she would enter into eternity knowing Jesus and being ready for eternal life because her time is close by. And that is what I pray for you this morning. I pray that you would know Jesus. I pray that you would follow Jesus. I pray that you would live for Jesus all the days of your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for one who came to earth so that we would know what life is truly about. Thank you for one who loved us so much that he gave his life for us. As we come before you today, we want to acknowledge that it all that counts is Jesus. All that matters is Jesus. All the other things that we've heard from the great holy men of the past are meaningless. Only what Jesus said matters. All the lives that have been lived, all the religions that have been followed, don't count for anything except for Jesus and the difference that he can make. And I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room, everyone connected to them through their family or friends, anyone that any of us knows, that we would all know Jesus because that's all that matters. If there's anyone here today, Lord, who needs to make a decision to follow Jesus, may they encounter you personally and may their lives be dramatically changed by this grace, by this moment in which they embrace Jesus for that first time. 
And may their lives be dramatically changed by the discipleship that will take a lifetime as they intentionally, deliberately choose to follow him. I pray this in Jesus' name.